The sermon text is John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, my father is the fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Today our passage is in John 15. If you'll turn with me there. And today we are looking at the last of the I am statements of Jesus. If you look in the book of John, you'll find that there are places where Jesus says, I am such and such. So he'll say, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there are a total of eight explicit self-revelatory I am statements made by Jesus. And he's not just claiming to describe these things. He's not just coming to know about it. He's actually saying, I am these things. And if they're true, there are implications for us today. So why don't we dive into verse 1. It reads, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, why don't we set the scene so we know exactly what's going on here. Jesus is with his 12 disciples, and they are in the upper room. And the mood is pretty solemn. You see, the disciples actually think that Jesus came to um, overthrow the Roman Empire because they were oppressing the Jews. But that's not what happened. They think that Jesus is going to come in and reign and bring uh, God's reign in for eternity. But Jesus says, I'm not going to do it that way. Instead, he says, I'm actually going to leave. And so the disciples are frightened. They feel abandoned. And not too long ago, he actually said to them, I have a piece of bread, and one of you here, one of you among the twelve, will betray me. And he actually dips that piece of bread and he gives it, and Judas receives it and runs out immediately. So that's the context for where we're at. And so the mood is pretty solemn, and Jesus is trying to encourage them. And he says, you know, don't worry, I'm leaving, but this is for your good. I'm leaving for your eternal security, for your future. And so don't worry, because I am the true vine. Now, how many of us, upon hearing the true vine, do you feel comforted? Like, yes, that's me. I feel comforted. No one, right? Because we're in the 21st century, this doesn't really make sense to us. But if you were a first century Jew, this was a loaded statement. Let me explain. This past week, uh, Congress, I don't know if you saw in the news, Congress passed the National Bison Legacy Act, which named the bison the national symbol of the United States. I don't know if you know this. Therefore, our country has now two national animals. We have the eagle, the bald eagle, and now we have the bison. Well, in the Old Testament, the symbol that stood for Israel, the people of God, was a vineyard, was the vine. But here's the thing. Every time Israel is associated with the vine, it's almost always negative. It says, as we read in our Old Testament passage, Israel, the vine, produced sour grapes. 
or Israel the vine produced no fruit at all, and therefore the judgment of God is impending on them. And But here Jesus comes in, and he says, I am the true vine. And in short, what he's saying is, I am doing what you are unable to do. I am being what you are unable to be. See, the vine was a symbol of failure. It was a sign, and every time they heard it, they kind of cringed because they knew that they were unable to keep the laws. But when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he takes off that load off their shoulders, and he says, you haven't been able to bear fruit that pleases God, and no matter how hard you worked, no matter how hard you tried, it wasn't good enough, but it's okay because I have it. The type of faithfulness that pleases the Lord that you have been unable to walk in, I now make possible for you. Let's read verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. If Jesus is the true vine, if he has done what we cannot do for ourselves, Jesus says, expect pruning. To be a Christian, in other words, is to be pruned. Um, Somehow, there's been this lie within the church that said that as soon as you become a Christian, that everything's supposed to be amazing. You're supposed to find this awesome spouse. Your kids are going to love you. They're going to thank you for all the sacrifices you made. And on top of that, you're never going to be sick at all. You know, and we believe this, but is this the kind of fruit that we're supposed to bear after he prunes us? I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want you to find out exactly the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about. In Galatians 5, verse 22, it says, "But the spirit, But the fruit of the Spirit... It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to notice that there's a singular fruit of the Spirit compared to not fruits of the Spirit, and that makes a big deal. You see, the fruit of the Spirit are all of these things that was listed. It's not just one of them. And you'll find that if we don't have one of them, it's incomplete. So I want you to look with me. So if, um, why don't we look at If you lack patience, then you're probably not loving, right? If you're lacking love, you're probably not walking in real joy. You need to have all of them or else it just all falls apart. Um, So the thing is that if the fruit grows symmetrically over time, and all of us in this room, we're not where we were before. You know, we've seen change as we come before the Lord. There's change, but we're not actually where we ultimately will be in the growing of the fruit of the Spirit. So therefore, in the process... We, we bear fruit, and the Lord will prune us. We bear fruit, the Lord will prune us. He'll cut. If we bear fruit, then he'll cut again. He'll prune us, and that's the process. And so we really got to get rid of this idea that once we become Christians, that there's no more suffering, there's no room for hardships. And I just want to say to you guys that if you're in the season right now where you feel like you're being pruned, if you feel like you are in a season of doubt, that you are struggling with anxiety, there's relational conflict in your life, it doesn't mean that you're being punished necessarily. And it doesn't mean that you're not trying hard to be that good Christian, that good, happy Christians. I want you to get out of your minds that God is out to get you. You see, the fact is, if you're a Christian, you will be pruned. Jesus says, expect to be pruned. And that's point number one. Jesus is the true vine. He has done what we are unable to do on our own to be faithful to God. And therefore, as Christians, we should expect pruning. That's point number one. Point number two is this. Because Jesus is the true vine... Our position is now in, in Christ. Let me say that again. Point number two, because Jesus is the true vine, our position is now in Christ. And we're going to read verse three. 
Jesus says to his disciples, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus told his disciples, I am, I am, I am, I am the Son of God, right? I am the bread of life, I am the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the Messiah, I'm the, Messiah. I'm the only one that can save you from your sins. And the disciples responded and they believed. See, the disciples did not earn their position in Christ by doing anything to earn it. To further prove that we cannot earn our salvation, Jesus, I want you to look at what Jesus says. Jesus says to his disciples, knowing, he says, you are clean, knowing that within 24 hours, they're going to actually forget about him. They're going to leave him. One of them is actually going to say, I don't know the guy. I don't know him at all. And lastly, they're going to be dispersed, and they're not going to even have faith that he resurrected from the dead. But even knowing all of that, he still says you are clean. And what can we get from this? We can see that our position in Christ is because of who he is and not because of who we are. I want us to look at verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. One of the greatest mysteries, one of the great mysteries of what it means to be Christian is around this idea of union with Christ and communion with Christ. Okay, so these are two big terms. We're going to define it real quick. So let's unpack union with Christ. It means that he is in me and that I am in him. It means that when God sees us, he doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness. He sees that and Jesus' righteousness is given to us. That is union with Christ. It is a position statement. And then number two is communion with Christ. What is that? Communion is the intimacy that we feel with God. So one is a position and one is a feeling. I want you to hold these two concepts in our mind as we unpack verses 4 through 7. It says, verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. It describes that there's this continual daily dependence upon Jesus. It says that no branch can bear fruit apart from Jesus. Jesus is the vine. He's the true vine. When we are united to Christ, we will bear fruit. If you are separate from Christ, you'll be cast away. But here's the mistake that many of us make when we read this passage. We set our union with Christ on the foundation of bearing fruit. Let me say that again. We set our union with Christ on the foundation of bearing fruit. Therefore, when we bear fruit, we feel like God's happy with us. And when we don't see fruit, we feel like God's really angry at us. And this is a terrible thing because one day you'll feel like you have salvation and the next day you feel like you're lost and that God's angry at you and you have nowhere to go. And I need you to know this thing. This is a wrong view. Our salvation rests alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's no sin that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover. Then there are some of those who, uh, who, some of us who know that our salvation is secure and our union with Christ is secure, but we feel like God is so distant. We yearn for that intimacy again. He's so far away. We lack this communion with Christ. And I think this happens because we fail to remain in him and we tend to avoid him. 
You know, when I was a little kid, me and my sister, when I was in elementary school, she's just a year older than me, we would wait till my dad would come home from church. He was a pastor too. And what we'd do is we'd hide behind the couches and when he walked through the door, we would jump out, give him a big hug and be like, we love you. We're so glad you're home. And we did this almost every day. We were like weird kids. And we did that. <laughs> uh, sometimes we'd make little signs and stick it on the wall. Um, but there were also days where me and my sister would fight. And my mom would discipline us, but there were some of those really bad fights where my mom would say, wait till your dad gets home. And when that happened, there was no delight. There was avoidance. Like, we were in our rooms, and my dad knew he came home, there's no one there, right? And I think that's just human nature. I think when we offend, we avoid, right? Um, But Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, and I abide in you. This is an invitation. You are welcome in. There is no more any reason to avoid God because of what Christ has done. And I can't tell you how often we think we need to clean ourselves before we think we could come to God. But the Bible doesn't play it out like that. He says, the God, God doesn't ask you to clean yourself up before you come to Him. He says, come to Him so that He could clean you up. So we know that Jesus is the true vine because he has done what we are unable to do. And now we are positioned in Christ. We are in a new position, which means that God loves us because of what Jesus has done. Now there's union with Christ. There's communion with Christ. We feel his love and there's no more any reason to avoid God. But let me tell you one more story that might help us to see the Father's love because I know it's really hard. There's still sometimes those deep hidden sins and we really feel like, but you don't know me. Like, I have some really deep things. So let me just encourage you with this story. The Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus is to be arrested, Jesus tells his uh, disciples, you know, in a matter of hours, you guys are going to betray me. Peter stands up and says, Jesus, I don't know about these guys, but I will never betray you. Um, Jesus says, actually, Peter, you're actually you're the one who's going to betray me three times. You're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Peter says, he like doubles down on this. He says, no, you're the son of God. I will never betray you. Right? And so we fast move forward. And on the night that Jesus is arrested, the Roman guards come to take him away. And to Peter's credit, he actually comes and he like chops off the ear of the Roman guards who tries to take away Jesus, right? And Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Picks up the ears, puts it back on the Roman guard's head. And the guards take him away. <laughs> Right? And then the Bible tells us that the disciples, they all dispersed. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus is led into the courtyard where he is waiting for trial. And Peter sneaks into that kind of general vicinity and he's kind of like camoed in. Well, he doesn't want people to know that he's there. And while he's hiding out, a servant girl comes up to him and says, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. He's feeling kind of embarrassed. He's hiding. He goes, no, I don't know who he is. And so she walks away and she goes around. She comes back to him and says, wait, I noticed that accent in your voice. That's Galilean. You're definitely a disciple of Jesus, right? And he gets bolder in his voice. He goes, no, I don't know who you're talking about. So she goes away, but she quickly turns around. She goes, no, I recognize you. You are a disciple of Jesus. I've seen you before. And the Bible actually says, Peter cursed her out. He yells, I don't know who you're talking about. And at that point, Jesus looks and he sees Peter. Peter looks and he sees Jesus. And in that moment, his heart is crushed. He's feel, he is filled with regret with shame and guilt and he leaves and he flees the courtyard we fast forward post-resurrection and the bible says that all the disciples are scattered they've kind of all kind of gone back to their old jobs peter's a fisherman so he's on a boat with other disciples who are fishermen 
and they look across the shore and they see a figure and it turns out to be Jesus. So everyone's really excited and they're turning the ship around. And what does Peter do? Does he hide in the boat? Is he like, oh shoot, the last time I saw Jesus, I denied him three times. He's so angry at me. I'm so ashamed to see him. No, that's not what he does. The Bible tells us that he was so excited. He jumps off the boat, goes, dives into the ocean. He swims across, runs up to the shore, and goes to the feet of Jesus. To understand a position in Christ is to understand that in Christ, we don't have to avoid him. We can run to him, regardless of what we are guilty of. In conclusion, I just want to wrap this up by saying a few last remarks. Um, if you're trying your best to clean yourself up before you approach God, Jesus is saying to you, come as you are. Come as you are. The forgiveness is there. Come and confess your sins. He is waiting for you. And you'll find that he's been waiting at the door of your heart all along. You might try to keep a good image. You try your best to become a good Christian. And you might even tell yourself, you know, I'll come to Jesus when I work out these little problems in my life. But you know what? It's taken a while. And then you feel so distant from him. Jesus is saying to you, I am the true vine. I am doing what you cannot do. I am being what you have not been able to be. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you freely embrace us. We, pr- we thank you that our salvation is not based on what we can do or how bad, how bad we are, but our salvation rests alone on Jesus Christ. I pray for those who want to receive him, that they would accept the invitation today. I pray that for those of us who have distant hearts who feel far away from you, that we would know that you are seeking after us, that you woo after us, that you love us. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.